Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see you join us here today. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights. And if I, uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to. You just watched a Roland video that just sums up the death and resurrection of Jesus in about 30 seconds. And this whole month, we've been talking about the resurrection. We started this series called Before and After on Easter Sunday. And, and it's been really, really exciting talking about some of the, the big significant things that ways that our lives are different and are changed because of the resurrection. When it comes to, uh, I'm a pretty hard sleeper, and so sometimes when I'm really out, waking me up is almost like waking the dead. <laughs> it takes a lot, so my kids probably can relate to that. I don't know, if you woke up, today, did anybody wake up today with any aches and pains? I don't know if you've, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of yes right there. So I, I, mean, I don't know if anybody like maybe didn't get the greatest sleep last night. Um, you know, I think about that, and actually, you know, there's, there's maybe some sicknesses going around. When it comes to your physical health, um, maybe you just feel, maybe one of the lucky few, and you just feel great. <laughs> you feel fantastic all the time. You know, our, our bodies and how we're doing physically, it matters a lot to us. And people tend to be concerned about their bodies. In fact, one, one concern that we tend to have often is our, how our body is doing right now. So you may think about maybe you've got like an injury that you're still like it's taking forever to recover from or you've got uh, maybe some imperfections about your body that maybe if you had a magic wand you could change you would change it. Maybe your weight or maybe your just abilities what you can do physically. Maybe you have certain things that you wish your body could just do. Maybe it used to be able to do things and now it can't. Um, so we, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about our bodies how to well we have these bodies we might well make it as strong and as healthy as we possibly can. But then we also think about our bodies into the future. Often we think about, well, what if my health declines? Or what if uh, this thing never really gets better? This injury or this illness continues on? Or if, what if I'm just sliding into this deterioration? That's, we think about our bodies into the future. Maybe, maybe my strength or my, the soundness of my mind is something that's gonna deteriorate too. Ugh, the, this, the constant, decline of things getting worse. I don't know, what do you think is the peak age? At, a, at the point where the decline starts, I mean, 19, 20 maybe, I don't know, what do you think? Like, it's probably somewhere in the 20s, like optimal strength, that's, that's the time when you think you're invincible. Um, so we think about that. We also think about our, the bodies, or really the lives, of our loved ones. So maybe you know people that are in physical decline or maybe you have people that recently were in physical decline and now they're gone and they've passed on. And so we think about that too. We think about this issue of health and wellness from that angle as well. It's not just our own bodies, but the people around us. And then of course, people often think about their body's final expiration date. And so at some point, your body will stop and it will drop. And we think about we think about death, just like the big concept of what it is, what is death and what happens after death. We also think about the process of dying. And the closer you maybe you get to a situation that's deadly or terminal, you think about what is the process of dying going to be like? How will, how will my death occur? Will it be painful? And what happens next? So we think, we think about our bodies. We think about our health. And it's kind of like the life of our bodies is kind of like leaves on a tree 
that sprite that they just come out, they pop out, like all the trees right now, and they have new fresh leaves. It's like bright, beautiful green, and they just flutter beautifully in the breeze. And then eventually, though, the leaves start fading in color. They're not quite as bright green anymore. And then they turn to brown. And then they fall off the tree altogether, start getting really dry and cracked and crumbled and break into pieces and blow away. That's what, our, that's what our physical lives are like. This is, this is a description of what, man, oh gosh, this is, a, this is a heavy thing to be thinking about right now. So out of curiosity, I don't, I don't hardly ever ask questions that often, but who has had some kind of concern about their body sometime within the past two weeks? Has anybody here had any kind of concern? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people in here. So, so would you agree that concerns about body and physical and health and the idea of life and death, is that a prevalent concern in our culture right now, would you say? Yes, totally. So pre, if you get really preoccupied with your health and your body and how well it's doing, you can get very discouraged. You can, you can see the things that are not going well, the things that are hurting, the things that, man, if it weren't for that situation or that injury, or man, my body is just struggling. And if you, if you spend a lot of time thinking about this, you can get, uh, very distressed. Um, really, really, a preoccupation on this topic could really be a courage killer in life. If you just spend a lot of time thinking about your body, like, man, health, poor health can be a dominating focus. And if you have a chronic illness or an ongoing health problem that's not resolving, if you're one of those people, then you could even get bitter towards people that don't really fully understand what you're going through. You're like, man, all those healthy people, they just don't even know. And if we get into bitterness about our situation, that can lead to a swirl of self-pity, which is no good. And then, and then that can actually further isolate us from people. Life and our bodies are shockingly fragile. It's amazing. It's amazing we're all here and breathing as well as we are, honestly, because it doesn't take that much to snuff out life. We've actually been thinking about that over the past few weeks. We've been in some encounters where... Life is on the line. And really, really, life can turn in a second. Just like in a second, something can happen, and then, man, it feels like, it feels like the world's upside down. I bring all of this tension up because I want you to know that there is incredible hope in the Bible on this very topic. Some of the concerns that I've just raised about our bodies and our health are, is addressed in a passage of Scripture that we've been walking through this month. We started this series on Easter, and we really, we've been walking through the, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. It's a letter Paul wrote. Paul was a church leader in the first century. And um, this chapter, it's a long one. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. Actually, even more than that, it's about our resurrection. There's more said about our bodily resurrection than there is even about Jesus's. And there's a lot of really amazing implications that we, we've been looking at some, but today, I want to focus specifically on our hope for a new body. So I guess I have some good news for you. I actually have some good news and then some like bad news still to, to say, and then I'll give you the good news. Um, but here's, here's the big theme from, from the end of this chapter. The bodies of Christ followers will be changed at the resurrection. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. And I say the bodies of Christ followers because if you have put your faith in Jesus and you've accepted him as your Lord and you've surrendered control of your life to him, 
Um, that means you're, you're someone who follows Jesus. And this is, what we're about to read is true for you. And there's actually people, I believe, in our church every Sunday who are maybe in the process of investigating Christianity and what it means to be a Christ follower. And so let me just read. Oh, I, I want to read from chapter 50 to the end of this chapter today. And I'm just going to pull out some insights as we go. But if you look at chapter 50, or sorry, 15, verse 50, Paul says, What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. So basically what he's saying is our bodies right now are inadequate for heaven. We would not survive in heaven with the bodies that we have right now. We're just like incompatible. The body that you have now is totally unsuitable for life in the kingdom of God. You know how astronauts need spacesuits to survive in space? You know how divers need scuba gear to survive in the ocean? Those are, those are space in the ocean are places that we can't live <laughs> without special equipment. Well, as it turns out, we need a heaven suit. <laughs> we, we need, we, we just don't matter. We can't live there. So the scary truth is that our current bodies as they are right now are more suited for hell than they are for heaven. And this, is, this was the other bad news that I wanted to tell you about. It's actually helpful. I, I just want to divert slightly to read an excerpt from an old article about hell by a guy named John Thomas. And it's relevant in this chapter because it, it begins to bring a lot of clarity as to why the resurrection is just so very significant. And so this will help us better appreciate the resurrection when we know what the other alternative would be. So... Let me, let me read this excerpt. And, um, okay, this, this author, he wrote this article, but he says, in Luke 16, Jesus tells us of a rich man who died and went to Hades. And from that story and a few other verses in the Bible, we can learn several characteristics of hell. So this is, this is pulled from Scripture. So first, hell is a place of great physical pain. The rich man's initial remark in the story Jesus told concludes with his most pressing concern. And he says, I am in agony in this flame. Luke 16, 24. We do not make enough of this, this author says. We have experienced pain to some degree. Our worst pain now is merely a hint of hell, a searing foretaste of what we'll, we, we will be spared from. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us how real people will respond to that pain. First, there will be weeping, Luke 13, 28. Weeping is not a thing that we get a grip on. It is something that grips us. Recall how you were affected the last time that you heard someone weep. Remember how you were moved to compassion and wanted to protect and restore that person. The Lord wants us to know and consider what an upsetting experience it is for a person. Another response will be wailing, Matthew 13, 42. While weeping attracts our sympathy, Wailing frightens and offends us. Wailing is the pitiable howl of a soul seeking escape, hurt beyond repair, eternally damaged. A wail is a sound gone grotesque because of conclusion that we can't live with. Another response in hell will be gnashing of teeth, teeth Luke 13, 28. Why, why we gnash teeth? Because, because of anger or frustration maybe? Or it may be a defense against crying out against the intense pause when one is too weary to cry any longer. 
And then hell has two other aspects, rarely considered, both which are curious and frightening. On Earth, we take for granted two physical properties that help keep us stable. The first is light, and the second is solid, fixed surfaces. And oddly, these two things will not accommodate those in hell. Hell is, hell is a place of darkness, Matthew 8, 12. So imagine a person who just entered hell, and after the roar of physical pain blasts him, he spends his first moments wailing, gnashing his teeth, but after a season, he grows accustomed to the pain, not that it has become tolerable, but his capacity for it has enlarged to at least comprehend it. And though he hurts, he's now able to think, and he instinctively looks around. And as he looks, he only sees blackness. In his earthly life, he learned that if he looked long enough, a glow of light somewhere would yield definition to the surroundings. So he blinks and strains to focus his eyes, and he sees nothing but unyielding black ink. And then it clings to him, it, it smothers and oppresses him. Realizing that this darkness is not gonna give way, he nervously begins to feel for something solid to get his bearings. He reaches for walls, rocks, trees, chairs. He stretches his legs to feel the ground and touches nothing. Hell is a bottomless pit, Revelation 20, 1 and 2. In a growing panic, he, he kicks his feet and waves his arms. He stretches and lunges, but he finds nothing. With a scream, he kicks, twists, and lunges until he's too exhausted to move, and so he hangs there, alone with his pain, unable to touch a solid object or see a solitary thing until he begins to weep. As time passes, he begins to do what the rich man did in Jesus' story. He starts to think. His first thoughts are of hope. You see, on earth, hope keeps you alive. When things get really bad, you always find a way out. If he felt pain, he took medicine. If he got hungry, he ate food. Of course, he thinks Jesus, the God of love. Jesus can get me out of this. So he cries out, Jesus, you are right. Get me out of this. I believe now. Please save me. With the sound of his voice, slips into the darkness and is lost. And then when he wearies of appeals, it finally hits him. This is forever. That idea deepens and widens and towers over him. The awful truth spreads before him like an endless overlapping slats. He thinks, when I put in 10,000 centuries of time here, I will not have accomplished one thing. I will not have one second less to spend here. He learns that, as it says in Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of his torment goes up forever and ever, and he has no rest day and night. That is a one man's description of hell as he studied the scriptures. Jesus died on the cross to save us from that eternal destination. It's actually where we all belong. That's actually where you belong. It's where I belong. That's what our sin has earned us. But Jesus died to spare us from that. That awful reality is what our bodies are currently programmed for. We're made of material stuff that is full of corruption, physically, emotionally spiritually, we cannot get into God's heavenly kingdom in our bodies as they are presently. And I wonder, I sometimes I wonder if maybe God allows our bodies to decline in order to like wake us up. <laughs> you know, because if you woke up every day and you just felt fantastic and you're just like, man, I feel amazing. <laughs> and every day you felt amazing, you would, you would have a pretty small need for God. You wouldn't really think that much about him or ask for his help or hope for heaven. Why would you hope for heaven if it just is perfectly great here? Maybe our illnesses and our impairments 
are a gift from God to keep our minds trained on heaven. The next verse in, in what Paul writes here is, um, is an incredible promise for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And he says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, meaning to die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. All right, there's, I, want to, I want to draw your attention to the word change. So our bodies will be changed. Like I said, we can't get into heaven the way they are right now. But God will turn our current bodies into something totally new. Same bodies, but new, newish in a way. Different than an upgrade. I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe the transformation. But when Jesus appeared in his resurrection body, he looked different enough that some people didn't recognize him right away. Some people had whole conversations. They didn't realize who they were talking to. Some people needed to, like, actually touch his skin and see. You know, they, they could see the holes in his hands. It was the same Jesus body that got nailed to the cross, but it was sort of different in some ways. And it has some incredible new properties. Our bodies will have new properties never before available to us. So think about a tulip bulb. I don't know if you're a gardener, but when you look at tulip bulbs, they, they look like dirty brown clumps in the dirt. <laughs> like, like, not much to look at. You're like, you're telling me I put that ugly thing in the ground and then something pretty comes out. As a matter of fact, flowering tulips look incredible. The bulb and the flower are the same essential type of thing. They are tulip. It doesn't, the tulip doesn't become something different. It is still the same thing. But as a Christian, the body you now have will be your body in heaven, but it will be totally transformed. Earlier in this chapter, Paul gives the analogy that our bodies are like seeds we sow in the ground, kind of like with this planting analogy. Our seeds are in the ground, and the seed dies. Like, you can't replant the seed later. You know, for most seeds, they crack open. The seed dies. Our bodies will die. But when we're raised, it will be in unmatched splendor. Really good things will happen. And when this change occurs, okay, the other thing you'll notice here is besides the word change, there's another word I want to highlight here. Um, it's going to be instantaneous. And so the word for moment, if you go to the next screen, the word for moment is a unit of time that cannot be divided. So Paul's describing the smallest possible fraction of time. And then he says a twinkling of an eye, which is not a blink. A blink is like really fast, like that, like really fast. But a twinkling is even faster. It actually relates to the flash of light. And so I've heard one speaker describe how long a twinkling might be. He said it's not a second. It's not a, it's not a millisecond. It's not a nanosecond. It's probably a tiny fraction of a nanosecond that a twinkling would occur. And which is basically what Paul is saying. He's saying this is the smallest unit of time that you cannot divide any further. You can't get any shorter than this time frame. And Paul is saying, he's trying to impress upon us just how fast your bodily transformation will be. It's gonna go so fast. And so how long does it take you to make improvements to your body right now? So like, build some muscle, drop some weight, you know, heal from a fracture. Is there like any positive change you can make to your body that's instant? Like, you can do some damage in an instant. Like you can wreck it really fast. You know, overnight you could eat too much cake and you feel it the next day for sure. But there, there's no, there's, there, we've never experienced this before where we've had such positive, radical transformation that happens that quickly in our bodies. Can't imagine what it'll feel like. So here's what he says. For the, our bodies will be changed. 
For this, he says, um, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. All right, so here's a, here's a few more things about what our bodies are going to be like for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. So your body is the thing that you spend so much time thinking about and trying to manage and keep going and all this. Our bodies will become undamageable. It will require no repair. In heaven, there will be no doctors, no surgeons, no prescriptions, no contact lenses, no antibacterial gel, no dementia, no cancer, no migraines, no allergies, no seasonal flu, no miscarriage or stillbirth. There will be no band-aids or splints or braces. There will be no dentists or paramedics, no hospitals or waiting rooms or gowns, no waking up with headaches or backaches, no tossing and turning at night, no pain whatsoever. Not a single tear will ever be shed for any reason. Our bodies will be indestructible, incorruptible. Maybe you think of like metals or diamonds or thing, things that we think are incorruptible. Maybe that's kind of similar, but we've never seen anything living that's incorruptible. Everything that we know of that lives decays and dies. That's just, we have no other frame of reference. Our bodies will be incorruptible. Wow. How much time do you spend caring for your body? Think about this kind of eternal life. So th by the way, this goes on every day of eternity. Every day you live in heaven with God, there is only joy and gratitude and praise to God. Now, compare that to the person who lives forever in hell. So the reason I talked about hell at the beginning is I wanted you to see the contrast that is brought up in this chapter. Is there any doubt that eternity with God is a far better outcome? Definitely. The next few verses are really significant. And so Paul, Paul's not just writing about bodies. And so he, he gives us a peek into the end of all things when every aspect of the curse is finally dealt with. So we, we have been under a curse. Every human and the planet itself since sin entered the world. Sin is the reason that we daily fa face decay and corruption and sickness and disease and sadness and pain that all comes from our sin, the sin our sin and, and the sin of everybody else. And then the greatest and longest standing enemy that humanity has been facing for centuries is death. Nobody's been able to escape this great enemy. It just consumes person after person after person for centuries. And when Jesus initiates the final resurrection of all who believe in him, it will trigger the victory that we've been longing for and so listen to this lofty, elevated language. He says, When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory on that day 
is a victory that we've never seen a victory like this. Perhaps you've seen some smaller victories. Maybe you've had some personal victories in your own life. Sports teams have victories at tournaments. Nations have victories in war. But the world has never seen such a total iron-fisted victory over all sin and all darkness and all death. That will happen when the last trumpet sounds. This means that our bodies are not the only things that are going to be made incorruptible. Every part of life will be redeemed. Our minds, our emotions, our relationships, our desires, everything will be purified and made whole and incorruptible. And so Paul writes some parallel concepts about this idea. We're in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, his next letter to this group, he says this in chapter 5, verse 4. He says, Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, meaning our physical bodies. He's using an analogy. So, like, you would agree. In your body, you groan. You're like, oh, my body hurts. Like, oh, how long do I have to live in this way? He says, yeah, we groan burdened as we are. It's a burden to live in these bodies. But he says, because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Our weak, fragile bodies will be swallowed up in life. Now, this is, I feel like it's an interesting phrase because generally when people consider their coming death, I think, you know, people maybe think they're going to be swallowed up by death. It feels like death is approaching, it's just going to, and there's going to be darkness. But the language here is the opposite. Imagine the coming day of your death. For a second, it's not morbid. <laughs> Imagine the coming day of your death like a meteor streaking towards you. It's unstoppable. Your death is coming. And when it finally hits, this old body will be swallowed up by eternal life. My death is not a thing to be dreaded, but anticipated with hope. In these verses, there's, there's really a striking contrast. with The same, same Greek words, swallowed, is, is an interesting word. Followers of Jesus will not get swallowed up by death, but by life. And at the same time, death is going to get swallowed up in victory. This is an incredible hope to cling to. For me, the, the knowledge of this future reality is so powerful. I love thinking, this is, so I don't know if you feel like this is like abstract or if this really relates to your real life right now, but for me, thinking about this, thinking about where I'm headed and what God's going to do for me and to me, I am so grateful that God has designed a plan that includes me and will end with my glorification in body and in spirit. There's, there's really no reason that God needed to stoop low enough to bring us into salvation. There's no reason he needed to stoop low enough for me. But he did. So I think about these things. I think about my resurrection. And in light of our coming resurrection, here's a few things. Here's, a, here's how this might apply to your life right now. One thing is, if this, so if you're a follower of Christ, and you know God will raise your body to new life, then here, here's what Paul says. Be unmovable. Always be of good courage. Paul writes at the end of this chapter, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable. Paul calls us to, do, to, to, be, to be immovable because if we're honest, what comes really natural to us is being unsettled and a little shaky, doubtful, concerned and wavering, feel like we're just kind of like tottering on some, some worries and, and, 
the source of a lot of the doubt and the worry that we face is often our bodies or our health or our thoughts about the future or thoughts about death. We don't have to be so worried about that. You don't have to be so worried about your body. We, we can actually embrace the reality of our failing, corruptible flesh right now. And we don't have to be surprised or disappointed when our bodies are falling apart. Is it really that much of a shock that that's what's happening? You feel the pain. You live with the pain of your body falling apart. And then Paul says, like Paul says, we groan. Oh, man, it's really hard. It is a burden to live in this body. But even though that's true, we eagerly wait for our glorified bodies. Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians. He says, because of this reality, we're always of good courage. When disaster strikes the common person, they freak out. But we're different. We walk through fires and trials, and we're always of good courage. That's what Paul's saying. We have strong hearts because we, we will be swallowed up by eternal life. So don't let your physical failings consume your thoughts and your emotions. Don't spend all of your time thinking about how awful your body is or your life is. Let thoughts of heaven fill you instead. Let thoughts of heaven fill you with hope. Death and disaster will not have the final word in your book if you're a follower of Jesus. And then another implication of the resurrection is you can give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. This is the final verse in chapter 15. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can just throw ourselves in there, just like put our shoulder and our weight and our energy and our effort into God's work, even if it involves some physical risk and harm. Is God nudging you to do something that you don't like? I think that happens often for Christ followers. He's nudging you. Ooh, he wants you to do something uncomfortable. Is God nudging you to do something that would be really inconvenient? Is God nudging you to do something that would threaten your security or your future? Maybe is he wanting you to do something that would require some sacrifice? If so, go for it. <laughs> Throw yourself into it. Put your stout heart into the things that God wants you to do. Give yourself fully to his work, and it will never be in vain. That's what it says. You throw yourself into God's work. It will not come out as a loss. It will produce something of great value for you later. One more implication of the resurrection is we persuade others to be reconciled to God. Paul draws this line of logic from the resurrection to this, this point. He says, therefore, in light of the resurrection, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others if I've made peace with God, it's part of my mission to help other people really consider their eternal destination. It's part of my job. It's part of your job if you follow Christ. He wants you to help people really, like, sometimes we don't really think about eternal, eternal stuff, especially you live in a great city. Things are going well enough. You don't really think about eternity, but we really need to think about eternity for a few minutes. And we can help people. We can ask some questions. This is, and actually, this is where the, our corruptible body works in our favor. For many people, their approaching death is like a nagging reminder that they need to deal with their eternal problem. 
as our bodies break down, it's as if God's reminding us, you're getting closer. Your body's breaking down. It will not be like this forever. Do you, so maybe, maybe you know people in your life that are, they are worried about their health. They are maybe concerned about their bodies failing. Part of my hope for this message is that you would have gained somewhat of a greater understanding of heaven and hell because they're real places. They're very, very real. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we can have complete assurance that we will experience the new resurrected body in God's glorious eternity. Right now, you know people that need to hear that good news. You've got some coworkers, you've got some neighbors on your street, you've got a cousin, a family member, maybe an old high school friend. You know people, and you can ask questions. So here, here, there's actually some questions on your handout that maybe you could just jog a conversation into an eternal direction. You're like, hey, do you have any church background? Just find out if they've gone to church and where. Or this question, what's, what's your spiritual journey been like? You'll be really surprised at how people answer that question. It's a really interesting question with interesting answers. Or maybe you'd ask people, hey, I know you've been coming around church, but was there ever a point in time when you decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Or are you still figuring that out? Or you might ask a question like, hey, would you mind if I showed you what the Bible says it means to be a Christian? If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has made you for those things. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help with those conversations. So I really hope, I really hope today's message has been helpful for you. I hope it's given you some hope and some motivation to really pursue your own walk with God. If you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a Christian, and some stories of people that have experienced the change from that, then I encourage you to come to the Discovering Faith Dinner that we have coming up in a couple weeks. It'll be really helpful. So let's end in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for this chapter about our resurrection. You, didn't, you actually didn't have to include this information, but you, you had this written down so that we can know and have incredible hope as we journey through the, this life, sometimes groan and sigh and difficulty with the burden of this life, but you've given us plenty of reason for hope and for joy. And you want to use us. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you want to not only help us and save us and redeem us, but actually you want to use us. You want us to be useful in your kingdom. And so pray that would happen here at this church, that hope would grow, our usefulness to you and your kingdom would grow, and that more people that are, haven't quite crossed the line of faith would make that decision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.